Good evening, church family. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ on this Wednesday evening. I am so glad that you have joined me uh, in this time. We are returning once again to seven words, listening to Christ from the cross. I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, reading uh, this book and studying it and highlighting it and uh, being given the opportunity uh, to share it with you. So a big thank you to Cokesbury who sent us uh, several studies for the Lenten season. This just happens to be the one that I was drawn to for this year, but that means that come Lenten seasons in uh, the near future, uh, in the up and coming years, we have an ample supply, an ample stock to, to draw from. So, uh, chapter 2, uh, we will begin this evening. Let me open up with a word of prayer, and then I'd like to share some scripture and some thoughts. Let us go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we're going to be looking at the gospel text uh, Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter, verses 42 and 43, where Jesus uh, speaks to the criminal uh, about today, you will be with me in paradise, Lord. I pray that you open up your word that we can glean uh, from your holy scripture, O oh God, that we can be a better anchored, better grounded, Lord, uh, and more enlightened uh, about your word and um, uh, spiritually centered uh, for this Lenten season, oh God. I, I pray that we can give it our all, our heart, our mind, our soul, our, our body, Lord. I pray that we can be filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So, uh, folks, I'm going to ask if you would, if you have your Bibles before you, to turn to the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter, verses 42 and 43. Luke 23, verses 42 and 43. Hear now these words. Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Church, this is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Well, a few uh, thoughts that Pastor Rob has uh, offered uh, for us this evening that I'd like to share, and then I'll I'll close with some some final thoughts. So, if you would just bear with me a moment, take uh, take notes. Uh, th there's some good good content here. So, uh, to the crowd, Jesus certainly doesn't look like any Messiah that they could ever imagine. What kind of Messiah dies like a common criminal? Pastor Rob asks. What kind of king with the power to drive out the Romans gets captured and executed by the Romans? What kind of son of God is allowed by his all-powerful father to endure a painful, humiliating death like this? 
and maybe more to the point of this passage and also this chapter, what kind of man witnessing this spectacle as he is dying alongside Jesus still professes that Jesus is a king with an imperishable kingdom? Good questions. Very pointed questions uh, for us to, to look at and, and ponder for a moment. So here's something for us to consider. In order to show his true identity, the Messiah, which means anointed one, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, must choose, in fact, listen, not to save himself. Not to save himself. He must stay true to his mission, carrying his cross to the end. He refuses to save himself in order, this is key, to save others. Okay, I'm going to say that again. He refuses to save himself in order to save others. Now, let's look at the heart of the second criminal that is being crucified along with Jesus. While throngs hurl vicious taunts. One person listens in dismay, the second criminal. Is it possible that he has seen Jesus as crowds gathered around him in Jerusalem, teaching every day in the temple, healing the sick? Or maybe he has witnessed the excited crowds who greeted Jesus as he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem earlier in the week. Perhaps he was even among those shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, that being from Luke 19.38. This man, defined for us as a criminal, as if he is the entirety of, or rather, as if that is the entirety of his being, has at last, or has at the very least, rather, heard of Jesus and his reputation. He has no doubt been privy to the whispers and hopes that Jesus might in fact be the Messiah, the one sent to rescue Israel. This criminal has definitely seen the inscription over Jesus' head, and perhaps he remembers Jesus, now mocked as the king of the Jews, saying that the kingdom of God has drawn near and was among them. Having experienced the same barbaric treatment and physical agony of crucifixion, the man overhears Jesus' prayer. Father! Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. There is something about Jesus' demeanor that cuts right to the heart of this man. In the midst of the cacophony of cheering or jeering voices, he has listened to Jesus' words and understand what others do not. Highlight this, that Jesus is in fact innocent. He's innocent. The hopes that had been placed in him weren't blasphemous, they weren't treasonous, or even misplaced. Not only that, unlike Pilate, the religious leaders and the other criminal, well, he understands that Jesus is in fact the king, and that Jesus' death on a cross will neither end his kingship nor keep his kingdom 
from coming. The criminal whose heart has been forever changed by Jesus enacts in his rebuke Jesus' earlier imperative to the disciples. If another disciple sins, Jesus says, you must rebuke the offender. That comes from chapter 17, verse 3. His actions exhibit the attributes of a true disciple, hanging from the cross next to Jesus in his last moments of life. He becomes a follower of the Messiah. What a praise that is in such a horrific moment. He has no time to repent of his earlier deeds, but in following Jesus he has lived out the literal meaning of the term. He has turned around and he has pointed himself in a different direction. The idea, of course, of one of the, one of the Lenten disciplines of repentance, okay? Of repentance. Very important here. So, what's in the name of Jesus Christ? Jesus was a transliteration of a name passed down from Hebrew. The language of the Old Testament writers, of course. In Hebrew, the name is Yahshua, or in English, Joshua. Yahshua, Joshua, and Jesus all have the same meaning. And we say it so often in our prayers and in our liturgy and in our affirmations of faith. And that is, He saves. Jesus saves. That's what His name means. Very, very uh, important there about what's in a name, the importance of a name, particularly our Savior. He saves. Okay, Jesus, remember me. Let, let me kind of unpack this for a minute. The criminal doesn't specifically ask to be saved, but his hope is in the name of the one who saves, Jesus. His hope is that Jesus will set aside his transgressions and will remember him not for his past actions. Are you, are you hearing me say this? But according to the newly minted condition of his heart and according to Jesus' steadfast love and mercy, the same mercy Jesus prays for God to show those ignorant of the consequences of their heinous behaviors. Let me, let me just say this again, because maybe we are in the shoes of this individual as well. Okay, I, I, I checked this, I started, and I highlighted it. Okay, so I, I want to say it again. The criminal doesn't specifically ask to be saved, but his hope, okay, go with me here, his hope is in the name of the one who saves. His hope is that Jesus will set aside his transgressions, hello, and will remember him not for his past actions, hello, but according to the newly minted condition of his heart. And according to Jesus' steadfast love, and His mercy that is talked about and even a consistent theme in Scripture. The same mercy Jesus prays for God to show those ignorant of the consequences of their heinous behaviors. 
I hope that speaks to your heart there this day. It certainly did to mine. A couple of other things here. When he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom, chapter 23, verse 42, the captive who will never again be free in his life is declaring his faith in a place where the poor receive good news that they are honored as God's beloved children, a place where hopeless prisoners find release, a place where God comes to the rescue of those who are in fact lost. It is only fitting that some of Jesus' last words are to a soul in need of rescue. Beautifully put. And that Jesus is faithful to the mission as he hangs from the cross. Wow! That just sends a chill down my spine. That, that is who our Savior is. Jesus saves. I love that. What would Jesus have meant by paradise? Okay, let's unpack that for a minute. Most of us immediately think of heaven, living in Christ's presence in the afterlife, right? That's true so far as it goes, but there is a, a deeper significance to paradise, Pastor Rob says. Paradise comes from a Persian word denoting a garden or a forest. It often described the king's garden, in fact. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, the Garden of Eden was described as paradise where God walked with Adam and Eve and they were given responsibility for caring for the garden, that being in Genesis 2.15. In the Creator's garden, they experienced an intimate relationship with God based on complete trust. The kind of relationship that God always intended for human beings. Revelation, the book of Revelation I'm talking about, uses paradise imagery to represent the state of perfect and everlasting life with God. That being from Revelation 21, 1 and 4, and chapter 22, verses 1 and 5. It's a place where God's home will be with human beings and death will in fact be no more. As the original garden, there's a special fruit-producing tree. But instead of it being forget, forbidden, its leaves bring healing to the nations of the world. Well put. Love that. A couple of other things. When Jesus tells the criminal beside him that we, he will be with him in paradise, he's alluding then to God's garden, to the image of a new creation. Beginning today, Jesus promises you will no longer be defined as a criminal crucified for your crimes. You will in fact be a new creation at home and in harmony with the Creator, the Redeemer, the, the Sustainer of the world. The Kingdom this rescue, this paradise, this experience of life lived in God's presence begins not tomorrow, 
Not a week from now, not years from now, but in fact, as Pastor Rob says, today, it begins today for those who place their trust in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Over and over, Jesus makes clear that the good news of salvation is not just for the sweet by and by. Salvation is not just for some would call fire insurance for life after death. It is in the here and now in how Jesus speaks of salvation. So let's then make a transition to, to John Wesley, our movement founder, and his understanding of salvation. John Wesley once said salvation is not a blessing which lies on the other side of death. It is not something at a distance. It's a present thing, a blessing, which through the free mercy of God, ye are now in possession of. Since Jesus' words reflected, you are saved, and you have been saved. For Wesley, for the criminal on the cross, for you and for me, the salvation which is here spoken of might be extended to the entire work of God from the first dawning of grace in the soul till it is consummated in glory. And yet, that is a concept that is difficult for some people to grasp or really to believe, which is another way of saying it's controversial. Okay? Is salvation in the here and now, or is it in fact in the next life to come? Think about that. Pray about that. Wrestle with that. Ponder that. Isn't that what we all want? To be remembered by God, not for the worst things that we ever did, but according to God's steadfast love for us. Well put. But our journey to the cross is not complete if we focus too much on Jesus' free gift to us and not enough on the call to give of ourselves to others. Jesus, in quotes, remembered the penitent criminal. In imitating Christ as his disciples, we cannot allow ourselves to forget about those who have never truly experience the love of God. Otherwise, we would in fact be betraying Him as well, just as surely Judas did. We deny Jesus just as shamefully as Peter did, if we do. So let me close with this. Especially during Lent, we are invited to lean in and remember His mission statement. I came to bring good news to the poor and proclaim release to the captives. And then go, go, leave the comfort zone, leave the walls of the home, the safe place, the church. Go and do likewise. Bring light to those who sit in darkness. Bring comfort to those who are imprisoned by fear and grief. Bring healing to those who are in pain. Be outlandishly generous, friends, to those whom love is a stranger, in showing them a glimpse of God's kingdom in these ways. You extend, you extend 
Jesus' invitation to be with him in paradise. So let me once again read the text. That's the main focal point for this evening's lesson. Luke 23, 42 and 43. Then the criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I invite you to turn to that text and let that be a daily a devotion uh, for you uh, in this week. I, I invite you to, to take the notes that uh, you have written down this evening and let that also be a daily devotion for you uh, in this Lenten experience. What is paradise? What does it mean? What was Jesus saying about paradise? We too call out, cry out to the Lord. Help me, Lord. Guide me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Have mercy on me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Make the Word of God always personal. And lift up high the Lord Almighty, Jesus Christ, who saves this day and always. For His Word says, His love is eternal. Let that minister to your heart this day. Let me offer a word of prayer for us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the seven words from Jesus Christ, those seven last words, Lord, they're powerful, they're meaningful, they're spiritually enriching because they give us fruit, O oh God. They give us manna for the day. I pray that we can take from these words, Lord. I pray, Lord, that these words can challenge us. I pray that they can heal us. I pray that they can give us, Lord, a, a gift of, of grace and forgiveness if we need it. I pray, Lord, that these words, in fact, can be that beacon of light if we just find ourselves lost in the mist of the darkness in this Lenten season. Lord, I pray that you shine these words upon us and however they can minister to us in this Lenten season, Lord, I pray that we open up our hearts and allow them to do just that, that we can experience our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through his last words in a richer and more abundant way, now more than ever. Guide us, Lord. Direct us, Lord. We walk with your Son each and every day. What a friend we have in Jesus. Lord, may it be so this day and always. In his name we pray. Amen. Church, you have a wonderful evening. I am so glad you joined me. Join me for worship, whether you are in person or watching it uh, from your tablet uh, this, uh, this coming up Sunday. Take care, and God bless you, and I will see you soon. Have a blessed evening.